Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. All Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we have a really exciting founder and now investor. I mean, he's uh, done everything, built it, scaled it, financing, exited. You know, he's built companies that were valued at a time, $3 billion. I mean, everything that you can think of. But obviously that perspective of being on both sides of the table is quite remarkable. So today we're going to be talking about what are some of the patterns that he has seen on some of the companies what he typically looks with his firm in founders, also what to do if you are a VC, you know, thinking about getting started, putting your firm together, and also as a founder, if you're a first-time founder, what do you do? Where do you start? So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Naveen Chada. Welcome to the show. It's a delight to be here with you today. So originally born in India, Naveen. Yeah. They raised in Delhi. Give us a walk through memory lane. How was life growing up? Uh, life growing up was a lot of fun. There were no phones. There were no televisions. There were just cows on the street. We used to play cricket. And it was just a lot of fun. So essentially, I uh, did my undergrad in India. After graduating from high school, I uh, went to Indian Institute of Technology in Delhi and graduated in electrical engineering. And from there came to the US in 92 to be at Stanford University to pursue grad school. And how was that? Was it like uh, you were seeing it in the movies? I'm sure it was quite shocking. The uh, the culture around innovation and get go getting going with startups and things like that. How, how was that? It was actually fascinating, right? Like basically when I came to the United States in 92, uh, we were in a time of uh, a slowdown, right? And jobs were hard. People were saying like, hey, it's a great time to study. Uh, don't know what will happen. And then suddenly in 94, 95, the internet happens. And the entrepreneurial energy around Stanford, everybody's thinking of solving a big problem in and around the internet. And that's what I ended up doing. I ended up working in my PhD on how to enable video streaming over the internet. And that led to me leaving Stanford, starting a company, and we'll talk about those things. So it was a fascinating period. Went into a lull, and then suddenly the browser gets discovered and the whole world changes. So I was at that seminal moment uh, at Stanford with me doing a startup, Yahoo guys sitting next to me, the Google guys being around, everybody's thinking about a company. It was just fascinating. 96, 95, 96 was just fascinating. That's incredible. Now, in your case, I'm sure that uh, making that phone call back home and saying that you're going to go and leave and, and start your own business, which ended up being V-Extreme, I'm sure that was not an easy, you know, uh, leap of faith. No, the first time that you would ever venture into the venture world. How was that for you? Not easy. Not easy because uh, I had to drop out of my PhD program and coming from India uh, where like education is so important, people don't drop off things. You go complete things. And at that point, in, uh, when we had to make the decision in 95, whether in 96 we go start a company or not, was not easy because who wants a label? I dropped out of school. 
it wasn't fashionable at that time. But uh, I got good advice uh, from my professors, and they said, hey, take one year leave of absence. Your PhD work is already done. Go try it and see what happens. And I never looked back. But it was not easy, right? I wasn't worried about whether the venture succeeds or fails. Just the idea of starting on something and not completing it. And remember, for immigrant founders, I was on an F1 visa. I didn't even have a green card. I was not a citizen. So take the risk to go from a student visa into a job visa of H1. When you have nobody here, no family, it's not easy. But, you know, in life, when opportunity knocks, you have to take the risk. Otherwise, you'll just regret it. That's right. And that's what you did. So with VXtreme, actually, you know, first company, first outcome that was successful. You know, the company ended up getting acquired by Microsoft. Now, how was... First and foremost, what were you guys doing there and how does Microsoft, you know, come knocking? Yeah. So uh, we extreme, right? Like when the internet happened, uh, Netscape had come up with uh, the browser to browse the internet. And we extreme said, why can't you do the same with video? Why not all the video content that is available on CDs, that is available at TV studios, is in corporates? Why can't it be put online? So let us build a server and a video browser. And that thing just took off. And Microsoft uh, was trying to build a product of its own to go after this market opportunity. And they realized it was just very, very hard. So uh, they came and said like, hey, uh, we want to acquire you uh, 18 months into our company formation. So that's what happened. Uh, they pursued us because they thought putting streaming into Windows will just change the world. And that's what happened. So then so then here you get the company acquired. Incredible, you know, outcome, you know, for you. I mean, the first company, you know, to get it acquired is incredible. I guess what kind of visibility did that give you into the full cycle of a company? Yeah, so what I would say is the first time around, uh, it just taught me what does it take to start from an idea on a paper and pencil napkin. How do you take that idea, pitch to VCs? How do you assemble a team? How do you focus, launch the first product, get product market fit, get initial sales, and then start scaling? So the first company, and I did two companies after that. So the first company, I would say, got acquired early. Uh, we had just raised one seed round and one series A. We had probably like 100 customers, 10 plus million downloads. So it was early, but at least it showed me when you have a raw idea, how do you create a team? How do you pitch? How do you build a product? How do you launch it? How do you get initial customers? But we didn't go through the 100 to 1,000 to 10,000 customers on our own. But I was very young. I was 25 then when I did my first company. And then also talk about impact because uh, Microsoft acquires the business and then, you know, that ends up being Windows Media, which is something that probably everyone, you know, or almost everyone that is listening right now has uh, encountered directly or indirectly. So tremendous impact. Now, as part of this, as they say, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur, no? So um, the second company came about, which is iBeam. Uh, broadcasting. And in this case, 
it's a company that you ended up taking public and that, uh, you know, at the peak had a valuation of $3 billion, then it ended up getting acquired later. How, how, I guess here, what were you guys doing? And then also how differently was the approach of being an operator of a private company versus now being an operator of a public company? Yeah, so uh, I wasn't the CEO uh, of iBeam Broadcasting and neither I was the CEO of VXtreme. Uh, at those days, when you're young, when you know technology, your title is founder and chief technology officer, right? Because I was always told like, hey, you don't have enough gray hair. You have a lot of hair. Today, it's a little bit different, as you can see. I have a lot of gray hair and also less hair. So what I would say is the first company we built, the extreme, slow, methodically, step by step. The second company actually started towards early 99, and it IPO'd in 18 months. So whatever we could do wrong, not only us, the entire industry did, which is we just grew really, really fast and went from like two to 600 employees, uh, zero to 50 million in revenue, and growing extremely fast, and went IPO. And most of our customers were dot-com companies who were putting video on the internet, and the market crashed. And then at the end of 2000, you have to figure out what's next. So it was a different kind of learning, how, what not to do. Nobody knew we were in a bubble, but we did everything. And taking those lessons to today is what I'm able to help entrepreneurs and say like, hey, I've seen the movie before. You can get carried away. Company building is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Take your time, build it slowly, build it methodically and grow at the rate which you can grow. So it was a different lesson, right? Like basically on, and we saw that in 2020, 2021, right? A lot of those companies have disappeared post uh, being public. So it was a different phase, hyperscaling, what people call blitz scaling, then the bubble burst, what do you do? And a lot of things uh, you learn in that experience. So obviously, in, as, as they say, you know, you always either succeed or you learn, you know, always. Now, in this case, you know, when it comes to lessons learned and, and the next chapter, the next stop in your journey as a founder, and I mean, that was Rivio. So Rivio, you actually got started there in 2000, you know, with uh, when all the craziness was still, you know, going on. So what were you guys doing there and what ended up being the outcome and the lesson that you took with you? Yeah. So uh, I think the hype wasn't still over. Uh, Rivio was building a SaaS company. At that point, people didn't know how to spell SaaS because in 2000, it was so early. And we went after the neglected masses, which was the small businesses, companies with less than uh, 100 employees. Getting distribution to them was very hard. So we said, let's partner with anybody who has a small business customer base and grew, again, extremely fast. All the telecom companies in the U.S., all the banks, anybody who had a small business customer uh, essentially was white-labeling our platform 
to provide applications to their customers. Uh, post 9-11, not a company was built the right way. Post 9-11, all the channels disappear because we didn't have a direct go-to-market strategy. We were relying upon partners to take us to customers. It was a big lesson, which is, hey, you need to control your own destiny and not just depend upon partners to essentially get to your customers. So what we did is in uh, 2002, we ended up merging with a company called CPA.com. That company is still around. Uh, the company is called, uh, it's like WebMD, but for the CPA profession. And through CPAs, we distributed all the review products. So uh, I was there till the end of uh, early 2003, and that's when I joined the venture business. So tell so us I've been about doing it for 20 years. Tell us about the venture business because I mean it's uh, it's quite remarkable here that you have been a founder. You know, up until you know, obviously you've been running Mayfield since 2009, but up until the moment that uh, that you had done that 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 transition with Rivio, all you knew was the founder side. What what caught your attention from the investor side that make you that made you want to make that switch? Yeah, it was accidental, right? I was an accidental entrepreneur and I was an accidental uh, venture capitalist. So I actually came in into the venture capital business first as an entrepreneur in residence to start my fourth company. And this time I thought I'll do a cross-border company between US and India. So rather than providing just software, why don't we provide business process outsourcing? similar to what Paychex does for payroll processing, or it's a continuum of review. Review is providing software. Can you package and provide it as a business process? And one thing led to the other. I started traveling a lot back and forth to India, and uh, we realized, wow, India is going to be a great startup opportunity, and I got roped in. Uh, to essentially become a venture capitalist. And I said, okay, let's try it. Let's take all the lessons I've learned as an entrepreneur of three startups, saw the internet boom, the internet bust, and now the world is becoming one. So in 2004, as a VC, I started my journey of planting our flag of investing in India. So that's how I entered the venture business. And the opportunity was, again, as an entrepreneur, to build the practice of investing in India, build a team. So it was, again, entrepreneurial. So that's how I grew in this business. So it was the new, new thing. You don't have a business plan. You don't know where to invest. You don't have a team. Again, building. That's what I love. So that was my entree into venture. And and now, you know, since 2009, you've been running Mayfield. So how big is Mayfield for the people that are listening? Yeah, so Mayfield uh, was established in 1969. Uh, Currently, uh, we've been in business for over 54 years. We are managing $3 billion. Earlier this year, in May of uh, 2023, uh, we announced $955 million of new funds. 580 million of it is focused on seed and series A. And 375 is focused on leading investments in companies at the Series B stage. And then we followed up in the fall and announced 
a seed stage fund of $250 million to focus primarily on seed stage companies in the AI space. Uh, so that's where we are as a company in our history. We have invested in over 550 companies, uh, 125 of which have had IPOs and another uh, 225 have been acquired. So we've been very lucky to have partnered uh, with the right entrepreneurs over the years. And we are broad-based investors in both information technology and bio-based companies. Hey, guys. So pardon the interruption here. So I got to tell you that, you know, for those of you that are either looking to raise money or you're looking to get your company acquired, you don't have to be alone. You know, there's a lot of psychology that needs to be blended with strategy, with methodology, with process. And it's very hard. And already doing your business alone is super, super difficult. So I remember, you know, back then when I was an entrepreneur, I kept really experiencing the challenge of either knowing or finding the right type of access to the right type of investors or really understanding what was the right type of guidance, you know, that would carry me through the process, whether it was with seeking money or with going through the acquisition. So that gap that I found being an entrepreneur is ultimately what pushed me later on when I met my co-founder at Pantera, Mike Sieversen, to really put together an advisory firm where we are guiding entrepreneurs and founding teams through the capital raising efforts, whether you are at a seed stage or at a series A stage, or if you are going through the process of an acquisition and you are in small to mid cap type of um, a cycle. So again, you know, we would help you from guiding you and, and supporting you from A to C all the way to the end as an extension of your team. And there's no reason for you to do this alone. So with that being said, if you would like to find out more, feel free to send me an email at alejandro at panteraadvisors.com. And we would love to take a look at helping you out. Now, your hit rate is quite impressive, Naveen. For the people that are listening, we're talking about 60 companies that you invested in. 18 of them went IPO and 27 have been acquired. You know, that's really incredible. Now, I guess when you are looking at investments, what are, you know, perhaps some of the patterns that you see and what do you look for in entrepreneurs? Yeah, so I think like uh, first and foremost, right, that success is a lot of luck. And I would give all the credit to the entrepreneurs who make those companies successful. So my investment approach is it's focused on people. Uh, as you might have noticed, I've almost invested in everything from semiconductors to lighting to solar to software to chips to hardware, to consumer companies like Lyft, Poshmark. So I'm a people-based investor because my belief is people build companies. It's not the other way around. So I spend all my time really, 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 really understanding what are these people made of and can they really build a great company and do they have the desire in them to do the impossible. Then, of course, once the people are there, you look at the problem they're solving. And that is essentially the market opportunity. So if you're there on people and directionally 
you're aligned that 10, 12 years from now, this is going to be a big market. You just roll the dice. And most of my investments uh, are uh, at the inception stage, which is paper and pencil, having done those on my own. Now, to your question, uh, what do I look for in founders? The first thing is uh, company building is a marathon. It's going to take 10 to 12 years. I want to spend time with these founders and want to see if they are willing to spend time in return or are they looking at fundraising as a transaction. Mayfield, Naveen is investing in a relationship for 10 to 12 years or even longer. Are they going to do the same? So the first thing I try to look at for is what are their values? Really understand like what you're doing with them, their stories, what did they learn? Then uh, I try to look at is do they have EQ? Everybody, of course, who's trying to be an entrepreneur is extremely smart, but do they have the emotional quotient? Are they secure in their skin? How many times do they use the word I versus we? Because company building is a team sport. So are they going to be willing to know if they have high EQ? What are their strengths? What are their weaknesses? And on their weaknesses, surround themselves with excellence. They need to have the hunger to go through any wall, any wall. And grit and perseverance is going to be the most, most important skill. And then finally, uh, what I would say is how obsessed are they about solving problems for customers and building products for them versus just saying, I know this is what it is. I'm going to build a product for myself because I know where the world is heading. So I would say those are some of the things I look for. Values alignment, high EQ, secure in their skins, surrounding themselves with excellence, meaning they're team players, hungry to go through any wall, grit and perseverance. So there's probably a, a, a quite a bit of entrepreneurs that might be listening to us now and and that this is the first time that they go at it. Either people that are already in it and it's their first time or people that right now are maybe at their corporate job right now thinking, oh, my God, you know, I I would love to get into, you know, becoming a founder and, and, and taking the leap of faith. What would you tell them? So first and foremost, right, like I would tell them on the positive side. It's a great time to be an entrepreneur. And the reason is the biggest and the best companies are created during times of crisis, during times of when things are not good for the general economy. And the main reason is when that happens, big companies cut back on R&D. They focus on what is making them money. They're going to be layoffs, so talent will be available. Third, VCs will pull back, so fewer Me Too companies will get funded. So this time is the right time to be starting a company. Plus, we are going through innovation in AI, which is going to be probably bigger than the mobile and cloud eras. But at the same time, my advice to them would be company building is a marathon. It's not a sprint. 
if you come to me, I'm going to ask you, why do you want to do this? So make sure company building is not just straight up to the right. There'll be lots of ups. There'll be lots of downs. Just make sure the opportunity is there. You just can't be doing it for money, right? So do you have the grit? Do you have the perseverance to go after this opportunity? So that's what I would tell them, right? Like basically, uh, hey, make sure the award is going to be there, but do you have it in yourself to run this marathon? And, and then I can get into, right? Like basically what would be my advice and maybe I should do that. Uh, if they do decide to be an entrepreneur and they have it in them to go for the next decade, uh, and if they agree, company building is a marathon, not a sprint. First thing I will tell them is, go write down what's the mission and values of your company. So always start with the vision, the mission, and the beliefs of the company. Secondly, I'll tell them, it's all about people. So once you know what your company mission, beliefs, values are, who are the people? It's not a solo sport. You're not playing individual tennis. This is a team sport. So what are you going to be doing about the people? The third thing I would tell them is make sure the product you're building is a painkiller, not a vitamin for your customer. Because you have to rise above the noise. The fourth thing I tell them is, hey, startups die of indigestion, not starvation. So focus. You'll have a lot of ideas. Become the best at something. And another way to say that is, if you're going and drilling into Mother Earth, right, go miles deep, not six inches deep. And then finally, it's not just going to be about technology. You have to innovate across the value chain. So sometimes, just not think about the tech and the product. Also think about how you want to deliver it. What's your business model? What's your go-to-market and build it into the product? And this becomes the blueprint, the architecture on which you go build your company. So those would be the things. Once they are sure, those would be the five things I would tell them to go do. And what about for the people that are on the other side of the table, that are on the same situation, that are thinking about launching their own VC and running it? Yeah. So I think like the venture business, right? Like if building startups is a marathon, I think this is marathon squared. It's marathon times marathon. So uh, the first thing I would say, if you're looking at starting your venture firm, uh, you need to figure out uh, and this applies to companies too, what I said earlier is, you need to figure out what's your North Star. Why do you exist, right? Once you do that, you have to start with what's your vision, what's your mission, what's your beliefs. Then come up with the strategy. You're going to raise a certain size of the fund. Where do you focus? Is it sector focused? Is it stage focused? Are you going to be doing a lot of companies? Are you going to be doing a few companies? So nail your strategy. It's a competitive world. Uh, if you nail your strategy, how are you going to source unique deals? 
What value are you going to provide to entrepreneurs? Focus on this business is not about paper valuations, paper gains. Build your business like a real entrepreneur does, focused on real cash on cash returns, and then figure out, right? Like what kind of terms you want to offer to your LPs and what themes and sectors are you going to be investing in? So the company building part remains the same, but there's some nuances in order to apply to venture. But making money in venture is not easy. Making investments is easy. It's hard. It's hard because you're relying upon somebody else to essentially make money for you. But the company building principles remain the same. And then what about what about AI too? Because I mean, you guys are really looking into this space, and there's a lot of noise. Where is opportunity right now in AI? Yeah, so I think like uh, it's the next bubble, as people say. But if I take a long term perspective over the next decade to twenty years, massive opportunity to create new companies, right? So what I would say is having invested in uh, all prior technology waves, whether as a firm, whether it was uh, desktop computing, whether it was internet, mobile, cloud, social, clean tech, and now AI, uh, I think what I would say is uh, our thesis is for the first time, two things are going to happen. One, our mode of interacting with computing devices is going to change. It will become more conversational. And second, technology will be able to perform cognitive tasks that augment or amplify human capabilities. So our belief is if AI is used in the right way, human plus AI is going to be human squared and humans will perform at superhumans levels. What does that mean? That means everything and anything we do, AI is going to be an ingredient technology in that. And having invested for over 50 years as a firm, our belief is we go back to the technology stack and say there are five layers where there are going to be opportunities. Clearly, the world is going to create AI-enabled applications, which we have seen with ChatGPT, we are seeing it with Microsoft Copilots. Everybody has to do that. Over the next 10 years, if your website, app, service doesn't use AI, what are you doing? It's like saying, I don't have a website or I don't have a mobile app. So that's the end game. But the difference is this is not about cutting costs. This is about doing net new things that humans weren't able to do. I call that the applications, co-pilot, and autopilot layer, things that humans will be interacting with. In order to do that, you need picks and shovels technologies, the bottom four layers. It starts with semiconductors and systems. Companies like NVIDIA have pioneered GPUs and AI processors, but there is a need for other semiconductor technologies in and around what NVIDIA is doing. The next level up from semiconductors and 
systems is the infrastructure on which all this will run. And there we have the three big cloud providers, but newer ones are starting. But there are problems to be solved around AI security at the infrastructure level, networking, storage. So those kinds of companies are being formed. The next layer up is data infrastructure and operations because to run AI, you need data. So there's a lot of things which are happening at the data layer. The next layer up in the picks and shovels is the actual model, which again, foundational model exists, open model exists. And the layer in that where you need help is all the middleware, the developer tools and things you need to do to be able to use these models. So I think the next wave of innovation is going to be investing as a VC in the picks and shovels of the Gen AI era, which is going to enable everybody to put AI in their applications, AI in their service. But anything we do, like the browser came, the app became web-enabled, mobile came, it became, there was an iPhone app, an Android app, AI, two things. One, interaction will be like chat GPT, conversational with everything we do. And second, the machine will give you things and answer things for you, which only other humans could do. And together, we're going to become better as a society, as human beings. So massive opportunities, similar to what happened in the internet era, the mobile and cloud era, the tech stack is being reimagined. So I'm sure, Naveen, that uh, there's a lot of people that are listening and that are super inspired with your journey, with your story, also with the way that you think about things and that would love to reach out and say hi. What is the best way for them to do so, Naveen? Uh, the easiest is write me an email. I'm always on naveen at mayfield.com. Easy enough. Well, Naveen, thank you so much for being on the Dealmaker Show today. It has been an honor to have you with us. It's been a real delight. I'm so glad we are doing this. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.